Over the course of 14 years, more than 40,000 Canadian soldiers served in Afghanistan. Almost 160 lost their lives. Now in 2021, many of these Canadian Afghan veterans are fighting a different fight. They are fighting to bring the same Afghan interpreters who helped them with their mission in Afghanistan to safety in Canada. With the Taliban now governing and controlling most of the country, the Afghan interpreters who helped coalition forces are in grave danger of facing retribution. This is the True to the Story podcast, The Interpreters. When I first talked to Han in June of 2021, he was fighting the Taliban as a member of the Afghan National Army. Fighting was intense, and casualties on both sides were high. Han sent me photos via WhatsApp of dead bodies, both of the Taliban and his fellow Afghan soldiers. He said the Taliban were closing in, they were low on ammo, and the Taliban had superior weapons. It was a dire situation. Yeah, we have ammunition, everything we have, but like, they have very strong weapons than us. They have the night vision, so we don't have the night vision. So, And they have the heavy weapons like the 82 millimeter, which we don't have. So we have like very some light weapons. So it's very hard to fight against them with the, with the, uh, with the weapon that we have right now in our hands because their weapon are so strong than us. And even they got the drones to attack on us. So sometimes they use the drone to attack on our OPs and for the um, reconnaissance, they use the drones. So they have everything in their hands. So that's the reason that like they're really weak in fighting. Han worked as an interpreter with the Canadian military. He helped build roads and forward operating bases, known as FOBs, and of course, helped the Canadians hold shiras with local elders. It was my, just like I was going with the, on patrol with them, and we were like holding the shora. The shora mean like a local meeting in which we get the local people and we were talking with them about their problems and we were getting their problems and we were writing them and we... We were uh, going on a. Uh, we were solving those problems. Like when we had a meeting with the local people, they were saying that our roads are not good. We don't have school. We don't have like culverts. Um, we don't have any uh, water well. So we were working on this. So most of the time, I was engaged in the shoras, and sometimes I was going on the on our missions with them because before the that we should arrange any. Uh, meeting with the local people, we had to go first and to see the area that is it safe for us or is it not safe for us to go and have a meeting with the local people over there. Like the other interpreters I talked to, Han's duties put him in danger and kept him away from his family. Yeah, because like the big mission, that we, the big problem that we had in Kandahar were IDs. And like the Kandahar was full of IDs, and even you can talk to with my mentor that one day we, we were hit by an ID when we were going to a, a local meeting, and we had a meeting with the locals, so we got hit by an ID, and pop-up shot, we were getting pop-up shots, and also we had uh, ambushes from the enemy. So it wasn't in a safe place uh, to work over there and to go on missions over there, and especially when I was going out with the Americans, with the Canadian forces, so they were like, we, we were hitting a lot of uh, uh, shots from the people, from the enemy. We, we had a lot of ambushes from the enemies. So basically, the idea was a big mentorate for us. One of the soldiers that worked with Han was Doug Campbell. 
he deployed to Afghanistan in both 2010 and 2011. He says Han and the rest of the interpreters were integral to understanding the cultural nuances of Afghanistan. Everywhere you go, you have uh, encounters with civilian population, and, and that was their job, was, was to provide the assistance between people that can't speak the language and people that, that, that can. So, but, uh, but to add to that, though, is that you don't know, they can tell what's normal and what's not normal. They're, they know the cultural aspect of, of, of the country. They know when people are acting properly, when they're not acting properly. And, and they can tell you when things are right and when things are wrong. And that's absolutely crucial for your security ultimate to know, to know those types of things, to get that kind of advice from your interpreter. They can, when they talk to people, they will get to, they will build a relationship with the people that you're dealing with. And the more that that person likes your interpreter, the more information that they're, they're going to, they're going to tell that interpreter. So it's not only important to me to have a good relationship with the local population, it's important that that interpreter has the same relationship with them that I do. So I spend a lot of time getting to know my interpreters and how important it was that I understand what it is that they're, they're adding to the mission. And, um, yeah, we, I spent uh, many a night talking with these guys um, really getting to know them. And I really got to add though, that, you know, all these, all these guys will go out. When, when you go to the military, you go with a weapon and you have the security of all the people around you. So you're asking a lot of these interpreters to go out there and, and risk their lives with, without any of their own self-defense. So, you know, I'm asking these guys to go help me. I have to. I have to have their trust that that I'm going to keep them safe if something goes wrong out there. Han and Doug formed a close bond, something that Doug says made his time in Afghanistan endurable. I can still remember that the day I met him, and um, he's very professional about about the way he goes about things, and. Uh, he, he always made it known that, that he was there to, to, to do the best job that he possibly could. You know, when you, when I, whenever I needed something, he was always there to help me out with it. You know, um, it was even little things like he used to, <laughs> he used to cut my hair for me because we didn't have barbers over there. So he even took the time to, to cut my hair for me. I don't know. It, I have very fond memories of the time that I, that I spent over there. You know, we used to come out at nighttime and, and bring our chairs outside and they would make tea every night and we spent a lot of time just talking about uh, everything. So, Doug looks back at his time in Afghanistan with a sense that what he and the interpreters and his fellow soldiers did was courageous. But he stresses that the real heroes of the Afghan mission were the interpreters. Uh, one big difference uh, with, with Canadians and Afghans is that like if if you're an Afghan and you're living there, then you've you've lived that fight and you and you remember it for years. But when you're a Canadian soldier, you know your focus is going there for six months, and 
every every last soldier that 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 went to that country went there with the hope that what they were doing was going to make a difference. And um, you know, I've deployed to a lot of places in the world. I, every time I come home, I always come home a prouder Canadian. And um, you know, I'm proud about about what I did. And you know. I, that's all I can ever, ever really hope for is that, you know, that I made the contribution that, that I wanted to make and that I, you know, that I did something, you know, for my country that, you know, that Canada stood for something, you know, in Afghanistan. And, you know, uh, Han really, you know, stresses that to me quite often that, that, you know, that he's appreciative of what we did did for them while we were there. The one thing that I, I did want to stress, though, is, is you know, because you talked about the uh, the value of interpreters. And um, I've caught up and pondered, you know, that, you know, when I came home, my country told me that I I was a hero. And I, I can't stress enough that these interpreters, that they're just, they're the, they're the real heroes. They're the ones that, that, you know, stood up to what was going on in, in their in their country and said that they were going to do, you know, make the fight for them, you know, for their country. And, um, you know, I, I personally don't think that we would, we would have did as well unless we had, you know, dedicated interpreters in that country that were willing to, to, to stand up with us and, and make that happen. And I, um, I, I do think that, you know, the interpreter should be given special consideration, not only because of the, the dangers that they face now, but because of, like, that our mission was their mission, and, and they're the ones that stood up alongside us. One of the first people I reached out to regarding the interpreters when I started researching this topic back in June was a woman named Wendy Long. I came across Wendy's name in a local paper from Southern Ontario from a few years back. When I connected with Wendy, she told me that this was an issue she'd stumbled into almost by accident, but that she'd spent the last five or six years advocating for. She was kind enough to spend a lot of time talking with me and walking me through the issue, as well as introducing me to some of the interpreters you've heard on this podcast. It's kind of a, an odd uh, story, really. Um, I was recovering from cancer and um, really kind of got into it inadvertently through my son and trying to be a supportive um, uh, mother. <laughs> Uh, you know, he was interested in, uh, you know, a concept called, called Kanzuk. And uh, at the time, there was uh, a federal leadership campaign for the conservatives. And there was a, a couple of, of people that were uh, on their policy platform had, had uh, you know, shown an interest in, in pursuing Kanzuk. Uh, but Aaron O'Toole, when I saw his platform, uh, after my son kind of said, oh, you know, this guy looks interesting... Uh, I saw, you know, Afghan interpreters and, you know, they've been left behind by Canada and these people have fallen through the cracks. And um, there was just a, a sense of injustice, I guess, um, that 
just made me feel very, very upset on their behalf, I suppose. Um, and I don't know if it, that, that just comes from, you know, my previous experiences as, as a kid kind of being, being bullied or being kind of like, you know, pretend to be your friend and, you know, because you want, you know, someone to help you with, with, with schoolwork or whatever to use you in, in some way. And, you know, I felt, I felt, used for them um i felt you know canada went over there uh used them and spit them out it it was basically to provide a voice for the afghan interpreter or and lec it wasn't only interpreters there was kitchen staff there was electricians there was plumbers there was carpenters um you know the taliban didn't doesn't it doesn't matter who or what you did um you know as evidence i mean there's two three hundred uh you know people uh, that worked for the u.s that have been killed and they're just drivers laborers uh shopkeepers um it, it doesn't matter you 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 collaborated with the enemy and and you deserve death so it's not only interpreters and I, I think that's what we need to kind of stress here it's not only the interpreters it's former embassy staff it's um People that worked with uh, specific NGOs, CETA, um, you know, people who worked, uh, there's a lot of women that worked uh, for the federal, you know, our, our government uh, and to assist and support uh, in the mission with our various initiatives uh, for, for women and, and education. And they're all at risk now, you know. Um, so these are, it's, it's, it's all encompassing. Uh, and I mean, we wanted to give them a voice. And I think now their voice is being heard loud and clear. As the issue of Left Behind interpreters garnered media attention this summer, Wendy was able to work with other advocates and groups to put pressure on the federal government to do more for the Afghan interpreters. Ultimately, Wendy and her team has dealt with hundreds of Afghans and their families and helped many of them get to Canada. It's been an exhausting ordeal, but Wendy is dedicated, and now that many of these families are in Canada, she's helping them find housing and get settled in their new beginnings. I have had the opportunity of working with incredible um, people from around the world um, in in this effort, uh, you know, a lot of like-minded people. Um, and, and it has been uh, very, you know, lots of ups and lots of downs, um, you know, the ups being, you know, when people actually, you know, land here or they're on their way and, you know, you're, you're kind of wondering what on earth can go wrong, like, you know, <laughs> that won't bring them to Canada. But um, so, yeah, it, it has been um, an incredibly rewarding, um, I guess, sacrifice, so to speak, because we've all, you know, had to sacrifice something, um, you know, sacrificing my summer, um, you know, for, you know, helping to save all these lives, um, is incredibly rewarding and, uh, I don't regret uh, any of it. Um, that being said, it, it, you know, I mean, yeah, all of the interpreters that, you know, you, you interviewed uh, through for the podcast um, are here in Canada and are, are thriving. Um, you know, many of them are either, you know, getting their first homes. Uh, some of them are working already. Um, they're, they're doing great. Um, that being said, I'm still always reminded of those that are still um, in Afghanistan or uh, on route um, many, you know, have in fact uh, gotten here to Canada, but there are a lot that are still left 
in uh, Afghanistan, and we need to, you know, keep the government accountable for those that are still there. Interpreters themselves, we're not quite sure how many have made it to Canada, how many are still. Um, I mean, if you're looking at interpreters themselves, we're looking at roughly a group of, uh, I think it was about, about 500 uh, of interpreters uh, and their families, of course. So um, I, I would have to say that quite a few of that particular group uh, are, are here in Canada. Um, but of course, that is self-reporting. So right. uh, until unless they have kind of communicated specifically uh, with myself or our organization that they have made it to Canada, um, you know, we don't know the full picture. Uh, we are hoping to send out kind of a feeler email uh, to those who were on our original list of 640 before the process came out at the end of July. Uh, to see where they they are, you know, in the process, how many of those, you know, did make it to Canada. Uh, All I can say is I've been at this for almost five years, and from the original group of people that I had, uh, all but one family have made it to Canada, and and that I feel very proud of that record. Um, These are families that I had accumulated a lot of data on, uh, had, you know, advocated for and have had, you know, kind of grew up with their families almost and, you know, through the, the, the tough times and, uh, you know, uh, and they, they've, they've made it to Canada. So I am extremely happy. Um, there is one that is in transit. So actually a couple that are in transit, they haven't actually made it to Canada, but they are safe. So that's what counts. Uh, eventually, they will make it here. Um, but uh, almost all of them are in Canada, but they are all out of Afghanistan. So that that is is obviously uh, a statistic I am very happy uh, about uh, and, um, you know, makes everything worthwhile. I asked Wendy, given that she's been doing this for years, how much longer can you keep going? She wasn't super specific in her answer, but somehow I got the feeling that she wasn't letting up anytime soon. Well, you know, I mean, uh, it's it's certainly not a paid job, and and obviously, you know, the the bills do need to be paid. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to do it as as best I can. I mean, when I first started out, it was for one person. Then, you know, obviously, it it grew to more and more. Uh, at, by the end of July, there was 640 names, you know. Um, you know, Afghanistan is is not going to, and, and the people suffering in Afghanistan is not going to go away. So I think to a certain extent, I will always kind of be, you know, have my, my, my hand in, in the pot, so to speak. But, um, you know, sooner or later, uh, you know, the, the advocacy, what I started off to do was to, to have the government make a process for the interpreters and locally engaged staff. I accomplished my goal, um, you know, in getting that done uh, and, and, and more, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the you know, it, it grew to 20,000, 40,000, um, you know, humanitarian uh, you know, work, you know, um, visas. Uh, so, you know, I, I will always, you know, have, we still need to advocate for the special immigration measures of people who were here uh, 10 years ago that have supported uh, me in these initiatives. 
to bring their families out of Afghanistan because as of yet, there is no clearly defined process for them. So that is, is something that is, is, is dear to my heart as well. Um, I do know some of these interpreters very, you know, personally, and uh, I feel for them uh, and their families. And I, I do know intimately the struggles that their families are going through within Afghanistan and how they've had to flee their homes. Uh, some of them have had their homes completely destroyed and are being, uh, you know, searched for. So, yeah, uh, we have a lot of work to do as a country to, to get these, uh, these people to Canada and, and then to support them once they get here. And, uh, which I'm also doing is trying to support them, uh, when they, when they arrive. Throughout the fall, as interpreters I talked to, like Raz, arrived in Canada, Han remained stuck in Afghanistan as the security situation deteriorated. Han got to the Kabul airport, but couldn't get in. He wasn't far away when ISIS-K detonated suicide bombs near the airport. Eventually, Han was able to get himself to the border of Pakistan, where he once again found him and his family stuck. After some time, they made it into Pakistan, where he and his family were inundated with paperwork and interviews. And to top it off, Han's wife had a baby, all the while trying to get to Canada. Finally, after an epic journey, Han and his family were able to get on a plane to Canada and feel some elation. Yeah, like when I when I was out of a plane, even when I, when we saw the Canada from uh, from the sky, and the pilot said that we are about to land, so everybody was there uh, yelling, was crying due to the happiness that oh, we made it to the Canada. Nobody could believe it that uh, oh, finally we made out of my danger and from the uh, bloodshed and everything. So when we when we were out of the uh, airport, everybody was happy and. Uh, like most of them were crying, like including myself, due to the happiness when we saw a peaceful country and friendly people, and everybody like welcome us very warmly. So that was a good point. Yeah, everybody is very nice, even like when like when I need something and I just uh, make a post post in the Facebook. So I need this and this, this, this. So I get everything at night, and uh, everybody is here, like just very like helping. Us and very kind to us. Everybody like I don't I don't know like oh, what is their nature, but they have a perfect nature of helping others. Even if they have like one dollar, they will make it off and they will give it to you. So that's a good point, a good thing about Canadians. So I experienced them very well and very kind and very helping. Thanks for listening to The Interpreters, part of the True to the Story podcast. Although this series is now finished, there are still Afghans stuck in Afghanistan trying to get to Canada, as well as those who've made it here who are trying to get settled in their new lives. If you'd like to assist, you can donate to the Veterans Transition Network or the Afghan Canadian Interpreters Organization. Both are linked in the description. Once again, I want to thank you for listening and stay tuned for another series from the True to the Story podcast.